0: All of you, relax. This is a matter of inconvenient timing, that's all. Police action was inevitable, and
1: as it happens, it's necessary. So let them fumble about outside and stay calm. This is simply the beginning.
0: Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck
1: in the 80s. Sure, it's
0: not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. to the coast we'll get together have a few laughs i wanted this to be professional efficient adult cooperative not a lot to ask alas your mr takagi did not see it that way so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life mayday mayday anyone copying channel nine Terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building and are holding only 30 people hostage. I repeat, unknown number of terrorists, six or more, armed with automatic weapons at Nakatomi Plaza, Century City. Attention,
1: whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only.
0: No f***ing shit, lady! Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza?
1: You're here in a hostile takeover. You grab us for some green mail, but you didn't expect some poison pill was going to be running around in the building. Am I right? Hans... Bobby, I'm your white knight. Now I have a machine
0: gun. Ho, ho, ho. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? You ki yay mother... Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears.
1: And Brad in Nakatomi Plaza.
0: <laughs> and today we go back to 1988 to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Die Hard and decide once and for all, is this a Christmas movie or what?
1: Well, Steve, I'd have to say...
0: Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Stuck in the
1: 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher,
0: Spotify, and the CLNS Media mobile app. Don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, we plead, if you like our show, if you even love our show, if you're even just flirting romantically with it, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Mr. Mister Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open the front door for me. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. On July 12th, 1988, the 80s generation received possibly the ultimate early holiday present. Bruce Willis starring as John McClane in Die Hard. The movie, directed by John Tiernan, who also gave us other guy flicks like Predator and The Hunt for Red October, was of course a smash hit, making $140 million at the box office and counting on a mere $28 million budget. Die Hard turned Bruce Willis into an instant movie hero. In the years that followed, Die Hard would also give us four sequels, A number of related video games, a comic book, and the ultimate question, is Die Hard really a Christmas movie? Let's answer that right away. Brad, what do you think? Well, I just watched it in its
1: entirety for the first time in quite a while. I think I see the last 30, 45 minutes every year about this time. But after watching the whole thing, I'm going to say, no, it's not a Christmas movie. It's an action movie that happens around Christmas, much like Better Off Dead is a teen comedy that happens around Christmas.
0: Look, Beth. I got to go. The Christmas tree's on fire. I'm going to disagree with you. I just think Bruce Willis would not be there if it weren't for Christmas. The movie ends with a Christmas song. The movie happens at a Christmas party. There's much whistling of Christmas carols among all the uh, characters. And gosh damn it, it is not Christmas Eve until I see Hans Gruber fall from the top of Nakatomi Plaza. That's not
1: a hostage. You know, I I don't feel strongly enough about
0: it to argue with you about it, but I don't think it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Bruce Willis, I know, is on the record saying he doesn't think it's a Christmas movie either. But there you go. Me and Bruce drinking at the bar in L.A. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm looking for a reason to say I watched a Christmas movie last night.
1: Okay, that's cool.
0: So Die Hard is my excuse. Uh, so you watched for the first time in a while this week. I watched it for the first time in a while this week. How do you think it held up?
1: I really enjoyed it. I mean, there were aspects of it that I'd kind of forgotten from the first, like, half hour or so. I mean, you kind of know the setup, but how you get there is kind of interesting. But I was really engaged with it. And the funny thing is my daughter came in about halfway through it, and I thought she'd be like, oh, you're watching some old movie, bye. But she sat there and watched the rest of it with me. And it was like, you know, kind of explaining it to her. So she enjoyed it too, so.
0: I think it holds up. I think um, it, it is one of those movies where I don't know how it's possible, but every time you do find it on TV, you never catch the first fifteen minutes. You, it's just one of those. It's one yeah. of those movies where by the the laws of physics have dictated that no person turns on Die Hard until the first fifteen or twenty minutes is over. Yeah, you just oh, I didn't know. Like he's on. already got his yeah. shoes off. Yeah, you know, you know what cracks me up when I was watching it was. You know, obviously, it's set in the eighties. You know, it was released in eighty eight, but the fashion and the hairstyles just it it looks like a satire movie of the eighties. Yeah, it really kind of does. It's so over the top, but it but it's delicious in its in its detail on that.
1: Yeah, I did like at the beginning in the first few minutes when he's in the limo and. The guy's like he's like put on some music and he puts a tape in. And he's like, how about some Christmas music." I'm like that is a Christmas song. It's Christmas in Hollis. Yeah.
0: The other thing that gets me he, all the smoking. He's smoking in the airport. You'd never be allowed. to Oh, do I know. That. I noticed that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of unnecessary frontal nudity in Die Hard. <laughs> Very much of its time.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: A little shenanigans at the office party. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the obligatory uh, there's got to be some some character in the movie who's doing coke. Yes, you missed some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that, those are the lines you miss, though. If you miss the first fifteen minutes, that's true. That's true. And for an action movie that has its fair number of deaths in it, I think I read somewhere that the first person doesn't get killed until about the eighteen minute mark. Um, that would be um, so,
1: that would be the boss, right? The first uh, person. The security, to die guard. No, the security guard downstairs. Yeah.
0: Should say that? At the end of this podcast, I should say we will have a short trivia quiz. Ooh. So you can try hard on the die hard quiz.
1: Oh, Steve, that's genius. one two three I don't know it. I'm telling you. Get on the jet to Tokyo and ask the chairman. I'm telling you, you're just gonna have to kill me. Okay.
0: Hey, let's talk about the origin and the cast of this movie for a little bit. Because to me, this is probably the most interesting part of Die Hard. I mean, the story we all know pretty well by now. And if you d- if you really don't know the storyline of Die Hard, then you really are listening to the wrong podcast. You should pause, pause the podcast. Go look it up. We'll
1: wait. Okay, you're back. Let's keep going.
0: This is some of the stuff I didn't know until I started looking into it. The, the film itself is based on a 1979 novel called Nothing Lasts Forever by well, uh, Roderick Thorpe. I didn't know that. that novel. I had heard that this was a, it was going to be Commando 2. Is that not true? Well, yeah, it, it was. It's based on a novel called no- Nothing Lasts Forever okay. from 1979. That novel was a sequel to a 1966 novel called The Detective. Hmm which was adapted into a, a film of the same name, starring Frank Sinatra. When Thorpe's sequel went into production, from what I have understand, the studio was obligated to offer Sinatra the lead role in Die Hard. Oh. Uh, Sinatra
1: being... <laughs> Rub-a-dub-dub, Sin- baby. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sinatra, you know, this is not Von Ryan's Express anymore. He turned it down. And that's where things start to get a little murky. At some point... Arnold Schwarzenegger gets a hold of it, and it's it's conceived to be the sequel to Commando. But it goes through some rewrites. In fact, the, the script was never really all that firm. Even when they were shooting it, they were constantly tweaking the, the script. They were constantly having to improv. Huh. And even the people who were considered for the cast, it's just like – it's pretty much a who's who of Hollywood, and and how Bruce Willis ends up. You know, every time we do a movie show, there's always some bizarre story of how the the lead character got the role. Gets cast, yeah. It's it's never it's never like oh I, yeah I wrote this movie for Michael J. Fox and he took it and we shot it. It's it's never like that. Right. It's, Cash it's was made. always something a little bit more. Yeah. Different. Right. So from what I understand, like I, I could probably do a flow chart here. Hmm. But I'm going to throw out some names. Don Johnson and Richard Dean Anderson uh, were both considered for the part of McLean. Okay. Others considered for the role, Nick Nolte, Al Pacino, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, and Tom Berenger.
1: I don't think Berenger and Nolte would fit through the air conditioning ducts.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Willis, reportedly, finally got the the role of McLean after it had been turned down by Robert De Niro— who turned it down so he could play opposite Charles Grodin in a movie that we honored earlier this year. We talked about that earlier this year. Midnight Run, baby. Midnight Run. By total coincidence, maybe, both films opened the same weekend. Mm. Well, there are only, you know,
1: what, 52 of those a year, so, you know, it could have happened.
0: Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, Bruce Willis was basically known for Playing uh, David Addison on Moonlighting. Did you watch Moonlighting? Was that one of your shows? I was about
1: to say, there's another TV show I've never seen a single episode of.
0: I think I saw like maybe a dozen episodes. I mean, I know it was appointment television
1: for a lot of people. Katie will talk about like setting aside a time to go and to see it when it was on because, you know, obviously that's what you had to do. Right.
0: So Bruce Willis was, supposed to, was doing Moonlighting, was offered the role, but felt he couldn't take it because too much in conflict with moonlighting. Oh, okay. Shoot but, about that, all that. but about that same time, Sybil Shepard became pregnant. Moonlighting was shut down for 11 weeks and it gave uh, Will some time to do Die Hard. But I think I also read somewhere that he was shooting a little bit of Moonlighting in the daytime and then Moonlighting on Die Hard at night.
1: Oh. So, you know, book the gig. That's what I say.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's face it. This is the movie that made him. I mean, if you oh, really yeah. want to do a list of best Best Bruce Willis movies? I mean, what comes out higher than than Die Hard? Um, I'm going to
1: go. My top two are going to be Die Hard and then Hudson Hawk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a turkey! It wouldn't. It wouldn't be Blind Date, the other big '80s movie. It would be um, for me. It'd be Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah, no, you're. Yeah, if we're
1: being serious, yes. I mean, Hudson Hawk is yeah. is a movie that is is so bad that it actually starts to trend into good in some places, but it is on balance really terrible.
0: I don't know if I've ever seen it start to finish. I don't even know that I've seen like a good five minute chunk of it. It has its moments.
1: It moves from the sublime to the ridiculous and back again several times. Anyway.
0: Yeah, we all have the, our Hudson Hawk moments. Yes, I have more than a few. <laughs> Alan Rickman, of course became you know basically an instant legend for playing Hans Gruber. Yeah. This was his uh, first film role or his first big one anyway. He had just arrived in Hollywood. I think he was cast in this based basically on an, a a stage performance he was doing at the time. Okay. Okay. And to some degree he wanted he didn't really want the the gig because he was concerned that he might be typecast as a villain after playing Hans mm. Gruber. When Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer.
1: <laughs> Benefits of a classical education.
0: Yes, Alan Rickman, that was a legitimate fear.
1: <laughs> he was an awfully good Severus Snape, though, I have to say.
0: Yeah, but he was, I mean, until the very end when you realize he's not really a <gasps> villain. Spoilers! Hello! <laughs> There goes my plan for the uh, the Harry Potter Podcast. Oh, yeah. the, the Harry podcast.
1: I'm sure that's been done several times.
0: But I mean I think after this, I think the next time I remember seeing him was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. And then what else? You could say he's a villain in love, actually. Yeah, he's, really a, want to he's go there. not a not a nice She'd guy. His wife. Not a
1: nice guy at the end of the end of it. But yeah, it's hard to yeah. say it's hard to say that the guy who basically runs an ad agency or some kind of nonprofit is a bad guy he just made some really bad decisions he's not a villain right. per se
0: I've I've made some bad
1: decisions I'm not a villain you're so right yeah what else has he been in that we would
0: remember um, oh he's in Galaxy Quest how could we leave out Galaxy Quest oh my god oh. yes there, there's one where he's actually kind of a might reluctant hero yeah. or gr- begrudgingly hero one of
1: the best Star Trek movies ever made Galaxy Quest by Grandpa's hammer By the sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged.
0: Oh, God. I could watch that every day, pretty much.
1: It really is quite good. And actually, I mean, this is, we're getting out of the decade. Have you ever seen Bottle Shock? No. The movie about kind of the arrival of the California wine industry. He's in that. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I love to quote
0: uh, Galaxy Quest at work because I'm always going, digitize me, Fred. (laughs) And everyone's just looking at me like I'm an idiot, which
1: let's face it. Surely you're getting used to that by now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I really do try to curb the whole 80s references now because I work with people who are half my age. Yeah. One of them asked me today who Frank Zappa was. Oh. I had to explain. I had to explain that. That's funny. So, oh, well. there was some somebody at work was using an emoticon that was Frank Zappa, and they're like, "Who is that?" I'm like, "That's Frank Zappa." Who is Frank Zappa? Oh, I'm like, oh, uh, "Come by my desk." I could tell you, but you're not going to remember, and you're not going to care. <laughs> She's like, "Okay." And went back to work. Righty right. But uh, here's the thing to me: like, if you if you're going to say there's one superior thing about Die Hard to me. It's how all the random '80s villains from from just about every good '80s flick that there is—they all make an appearance in Die They on. do.
1: They do show up, and they show up strong. Like they're exactly the character you want them to be. Name your favorite uh, cameo. I loved Paul Gleason. I just was laughing every time his mouth opened. He's just such a—he's—he's he's Principal Vernon in a cop uniform.
0: We don't know shit, pal. If there's hostages, how come nobody's come to us with ransom demands, huh? If there's terrorists in there, where's their list of demands? All we know is that somebody shot your car up. It's probably the same silly son of a bitch you've been talking to on that radio. Give me right. that microphone. So Gleason's there. Gleason, obviously, we know him from Trading Places oh, and Breakfast Club. So good. He's a deputy, deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson, which is just comically villainous on its own. Yeah. How about you? Who's your favorite of the group? William Atherton from Ghostbusters and Real Genius. He's in Die Hard 1 and 2. I don't know if he's in any more beyond that, because to be honest, the only two ones I really remember are 1 and 2. Yeah. But he plays the TV news reporter uh, Richard Thornburg. So deliciously sleazy. Just deliciously sleazy. He is. This is Richard Thornburg,
1: live from Century City. Tonight, Los Angeles has joined the sad... And worldwide fraternity of cities, whose only membership requirement is to
0: suffer the anguish of international terrorism. He's only got one gear. Yeah. Yeah. Is that,
1: I mean, am I missing something or is that just the character he always played? I wonder if he's like actually a nice guy in real life. life.
0: (laughs) He just, he always, he's got the one gear. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe he, maybe that's it. That's his range. Yeah. Paul Gleason doesn't have, doesn't, doesn't really shed that skin all that often. You'd see it happen in, Oh, man, what movie? I don't even want to say this out loud. It's so embarrassing. Have you ever seen Van Wilder? No, I have not. <laughs> oh, man. that's I should, That should just leave it right there. Okay, fair enough. If you know, you know.
1: If you don't know, you don't care.
0: Well, I made it a point to personally come down here, Wilder. I wanted to give you the results of your test firsthand. And just as I expected you succeeded. 91%. What? <laughs> I'm proud of you, Wilder. I've been waiting all these years for you to realize your potential. That's why you and I had friction? God, I always thought it was because I fooled around with your daughter freshman year. <laughs> why? What? <laughs> I fooled around with my daughter. <laughs> what? Two other ones. Alexander Goodenough, uh from Money Pit. Nice. Is here he's Carl. Is Carl
1: uh, with the world's strongest neck muscles? Apparently, <laughs> he comes walking out at the end, and my daughter's like,
0: "What the hell?" He was hanging from a length of chain by his neck. That was the part of the movie I didn't remember. Like he walks out, yeah. and then of course Sergeant Al Powell pulls his gun and takes him down. Yeah, pulls his That's, service gun, and it's a like a six shooter revolver. I'm like, "What did he get that right. out of the the Old West
1: exhibit in the sheriff's office? What the hell?" <laughs>
0: But before we cast Gudanoff as a complete villain in the 80s, I remember he was one of the good guys, I guess, so, so to speak, in Witness. Book, is it? Yeah. You
1: were the Yankee they talk about. I <laughs> thought it was the English. English, Yankee, the same. My name is Daniel. Daniel Hochleitner. I also really liked Robert Davi. Again, my daughter pointed him out. She's like, wait, isn't he one of the Fratelli brothers in Goonies? I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. He had some great lines. Like, you know, the exchange he had with a fellow Agent Johnson. Just like Saigon! And the guy looks at him and is like, I was in junior (laughs) high, dickhead. Yeah.
0: He's also the villain in License to Kill. Oh, yeah, that's right. So basically you have the Hall of Fame of 80s villains. Oh, yeah. If only they could have worked in, uh, you know... Clancy Brown and a few others or whatever. I'm sure the curtain was down
1: there cutting power lines.
0: (sighs) (sighs) It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, except the four assholes coming in the rear in standard two-by-two cover formation. Uh, This movie is also pretty known. There's a lot of pop culture goofiness that surrounds this movie. Bruce Willis and Demi Moore were married during the filming of Die Hard, I think, in Vegas. In in a complete 80s moment, uh, Demi Moore broke her engagement to Emilio Estevez. <laughs> Little Richard presided over their ceremony, and uh, Ali Sheedy was a bridesmaid. Wait, wait. Little Richard or a Little Richard impersonator? No, it says, uh, from what I understand, Little Richard himself.
1: Wow. that's Why didn't that movie get made?
0: <laughs> that sounds like uh, St. Elmo's Fire 2. One of the things that's ironic about how the German villains in this movie – are always mocking Bruce Willis for being you know the all-American John Wayne hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willis is actually more German than pretty much every one of the actors that was playing a German. <laughs> uh, Willis was born in West Germany. His mother was West German, uh, whereas you know Alan Rickman's English, uh, Alexander Gudnoff is Russian. And by the way, most of the German lines that were spoken in the movie were grammatically incorrect. Oh, really? So. Oh, did, did they go back and fix them? or They fixed them for later video releases and stuff. Oh, funny. The Nakatomi Plaza, I understand, is a venue that you're somewhat familiar with. Yeah,
1: I happen to have some business down that way from time to time. It is the headquarters building of 20th Century Fox down in Century City. Is that Century City? I think that's Century City. Anyway, it is the headquarters building of 20th Century Fox. My understanding is the building was not finished at the time. So some of the unfinished sets that you see in there are probably just the way the building was, and they put some things in to break. But of course, in an effort to capture more of the budget for themselves, they charged themselves to rent the space. But that's <laughs> classic Hollywood. That's Fox. classic Hollywood. Oh, did you want to shoot a movie for us here? Well, this is how much it costs a day.
0: Yeah. Is there any sort of plaque or anything commemorating the movie outside, outside the structure or anything? Uh,
1: I really don't know. I'm not sure. I might be down there. I'll take a look next time I'm down there.
0: I heard there's a rumor that they don't like people shooting... Photos of it anymore, mm. which seems like it'd be hard. To I don't know how that. you would.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's right on a public throughway. It's not like. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was on the studio lot and it was buried around with a bunch of things around it, including a big security cordon. But I mean, it's a public building. You you know, there's a hotel across the street and a mall <laughs> on the other side.
0: In, in the movie, it looks like it's off in the middle of nowhere by itself.
1: Well, that entrance. I mean, it's again, it's kind of the way they they photograph it. That entry plaza where the you know where the, he gets dropped off in the limo and i'm like where the hell are all the cars in this movie this is supposed to be in la and there's there's nobody driving around but that is actually the front of the building and it's kind of kind of isolated off the main street huh. yeah
0: and uh, of course the last two most important pieces of trivia or at least uh, most interesting to myself the line yippee ki yay is used in all 5 die hard movies allegedly cuz i have not seen maybe but Three of them. I
1: think I saw the first three, yeah.
0: And it has been voted as number 96 of the 100 greatest movie lines of all time, huh. interestingly enough. I can't believe it didn't do better than that. Yeah. I don't even want to know what it's up against. Uh, the last thing, of course, uh, Alan Rickman falling from the top of the building. That was filmed with Alan Rickman actually falling from a 21-foot-high model. <laughs> Huh. He was holding on to the stuntman, and to get the right reaction, that, that look on Rickman's face, uh, yeah. that stunned look, that's because the stuntman dropped Rickman on the count of two instead of three. <laughs> that's really smart, actually. That's really smart. Can we talk about the one theme that kind of rolls throughout the movie, and that's the use of Beethoven's uh, Ode to Joy? Yeah, there's a lot of Beethoven. I don't know that Beethoven appreciates that
1: being used in the, I'm now taking all of the ultimate 80s villain treasure, a vault full of bearer bonds.
0: Yeah. I mean, Beethoven's probably not happy about this or uh, A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. As as fate would have it, Beethoven's Ninth was my, – my dad was a huge classical music fan, as, as I imagine yours was too. Indeed. In his profession, right? Yeah. Beethoven's Ninth was always his favorite. And every year growing up back in Tampa Bay – and even as an adult, I guess. Sure. Uh, around the Christmas season, about this time, the Florida Orchestra would perform Beethoven's Ninth, the complete Ninth Symphony. Nice. They would bring in a big choir
1: at the end. That's you know? what really makes that last movement is the choir, and it's I mean, it's really moving. It's a really great piece of music, right?
0: So it became a tradition. The last few years of my dad's life is he died about ten years ago. I would take him to the Performing Arts Center every mm-hmm. Christmas. We both really enjoyed that movement. That's really cool. And it was his favorite. It was it was one of my favorites. And so we watched it, and um, the last time we watched it in Tampa, the it was a really I remember it was a really cold December day, and he was in a wheelchair at that point. Okay, um, he, he I think that might he might have had a, maybe a, just a few months left to live at that point, point. and there was a. Uh, fire alarm went off just as they were starting the vocal performance in that okay. final movement. The last movement. And so they yeah. had to evacuate the entire hall. Oh my gosh. And so I had to get my dad into the wheelchair and we had, we had to go outside and like, you know, for Florida, freezing cold night probably was like 45 degrees. Sure. Yeah. But we The had, orange crop we has there. not suffered as a result of this yeah. cold, cold snap yeah I just just remember it was the we had like about 10 or 15 minutes to ourselves out there and just that very cold very dark night we can see your breath and we talked about father son stuff you know and had a moment or two and then I you know helped them you know back into the wheelchair and we went back in and they let us you know we watched the end of it oh and then
1: so they did play the last movement they just had a
0: yeah they got it they started from clear the alarm they started the the whole movement over again and sure we got, so we got, but we got some free free orchestra yeah, free music but it was the last time he and i did that so whenever i hear that song that's right reminds me of dad mm-hmm. dad would have loved die hard i'll enjoy it for him this year
1: this episode of stuck in the 80s is brought to you by our new sponsor skylight frame the holidays are just around the corner folks whether this is a christmas movie or not christmas is still coming <laughs> And that means Katie is making metric tons of caramel corn. You would just be amazed at how much caramel corn this one makes to give out to the neighbors and for the, me and the kids to eat. And I'm trying to finish up all the shopping. And, you know, it's always a challenge to shop for our moms. They don't need more stuff. And the experiences they enjoy, like, you know, going to the theater, base jumping, canyoneering, they buy those things themselves. What? <laughs> Go on. So I was pretty excited when I heard about our new sponsor, Skylight Frame. This has filled a couple slots on our list. Let me tell you about this bad boy. Skylight Frame is a digital photo frame that you can update instantly by email from anywhere. It takes 60 seconds to set it up. You plug it in. You use the touchscreen to connect to your Wi-Fi network. And just like that, everyone in the family can email photos using your personal Skylight email address. So when my kids send me a great picture, I can say, hey, nice shot. Now email it to your grandmother's frame. Boom! Pictures! They pop up on the frame immediately upon arrival. The skylight frame looks like a standard black photo frame, but instead of holding one boring photograph forever, it has a 10-inch matte finish touchscreen that can display up to 8,000 pictures. This thing will hold up to 8,000 pictures. And if you're giving one as a gift, you can easily preload photos so it's ready to go as soon as it's unboxed. I should also mention, if you aren't happy with your Skylight, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, full refund. And, dear listener, because you listen to Stuck in the 80s, regardless of whether you think Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not, you get a special holiday offer. $10 off the purchase of a Skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code 80s. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code 80s. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com. Promo code 80S. Nobody
0: can spell URLs like you, Brad.
1: Oh, nothing makes me happier than spelling, except possibly... The The Seggies.
0: Ah, the mystical frame that is listener mailbag. We have a letter today about, oh my gosh, someone reacting to our Phil Collins comment. I just, because I just read his book, yeah. Not Dead Yet. So I said, oh, Jeff in Asheville did. Okay, cool. So Jeff has a letter for us. Brad, as I sit here and mop up the tears, why don't you read the letter? I'm just going to
1: whistle Ode to Joy while I read it. Oh, wait, I can't do both things at the same time. I won't do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Jeff writes, Stephen Brad, in recent episodes, you've mentioned the Phil Collins audiobook of his biography. I got it two years ago and thought it was incredibly insightful, funny, and very human. I knew a lot about Phil's career, but there were many stories that I had never heard, and his honesty and self-effacing approach were refreshing. Uh, Editorial comment, I agree wholeheartedly. Close editorial comment. (laughs) In October, my wife and I took a trip to Washington, D.C. and saw Phil on his latest tour. Admittedly, I wanted to go because I feared that this might be the last chance to see him. His poor health in recent years has made me nervous about his longevity. Back in 1990, I had taken a crappy concert caravan, read a chartered bus, with tickets bought through a local radio station. They promised pizza and a party on the bus. They provided neither. (laughs) It was a drive from Asheville to Chapel Hill, and it was well past four in the morning before we got back. Ugh. Regardless of the horrible planning and purchasing a poorly managed radio station ticket offer, it was my first adult road trip to a concert. As a kid, I had seen some live music with my family, but it was mostly country music. I saw the Statler Brothers twice and Ray Stevens once. Ooh, (laughs) we all have our cross to bear. So Phil was my first rock show that was music I loved. Perhaps I'm a little unreasonably nostalgic. Again, editorially, it's not possible to be unreasonably nostalgic when you listen to a podcast called Stuck in the 80s. He continues. That first show was a two hour and 45 minute tour de force by Phil. He was funny and energetic. I expected that this time I could only hope for one of those. That night, he entered alone in a small light, no bombast of music to open. He sat and chatted the audience up, saying that he had missed us and that he had been ailing and was not physically in shape anymore, but would endeavor to entertain. He started against all odds, and the large full-stage curtain behind him cast a huge shadow of his 17-year-old son Nicholas on drums as the big drum sequence comes in. I'm not going to lie, seeing that made me well up. Phil's voice is almost as strong as ever, and seeing the shadow of his son behind him playing like a chip off the old drum block. Phil did stay seated for most of the show, but the band, mostly regulars who've been with him for over 30 years, kept it lively and surrounded Phil with love and sound. It was highly interactive in spite of our headlining star being immobile. He honestly carried it with his voice and his endearing personality. And we're talking about a massive basketball arena setting with tens of thousands of people packing every seat. The expected songs were played as well as a few rare gems. All were greeted with roars of approval from the audience. A far cry from the mockery that Phil endured in the late 90s. There was nothing but love in this show. More than once, I found myself getting weepy with emotions hearing these songs that dated back to my youth and seeing them now as an adult. Also, I have a son named Nicholas who is only a few years younger than Phil's son and seeing the genuine affection between them was something I could relate to. The audience absolutely loved that kid from the start. So much so that Phil made jokes about it during the show, calling for the audience to stop cheering quite so loudly for the kid that he was so clearly very proud of. The Phil has found new inspiration out of this tour and is extending it thrills me. I would love to see it again. I hope that he is inspired to write and record again soon. We deserve at least one more Phil Collins album for a victory lap that is well-deserved. Still stuck in the 80s, Jeff in Asheville.
0: Wow. Well, that's a great story. It is. F- me.
1: is. I'm filled with slight regret that I didn't get tickets to see him when he came through L.A. I
0: can't remember if he came. I think he only played in Miami. Here in Florida, and that's just not that's just a no go. Uh, that's not happening.
1: Me. Yeah, he did one date yeah. in in L. A. And I just was like, mm. I'm having the the opposite Spearsy effect where I don't buy the ticket and I regret not going. Whereas you regret
0: buying I the ticket and you never intend to go. <laughs> I, I don't have any concert tickets like in the works right now. I mean, it's the only the next the next thing will be the '80s cruise, and beyond that, that's it. I think I did just buy tickets to Hamilton today, though. Oh wow! Oh, you got so. tickets? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So they they, they opened up a, b- a block of tickets here in Orlando. So I bought two of them, and God, those are pricey. That's it. That's like that blew my whole concert budget for the year. Yeah, so. I've been trying to lay off
1: because I was dragging Katie to a lot of shows, and but I I was just I was texting you about this. I caught the tail end of uh, Jeff Lynn ELO special on TV, and I just immediately I was like, oh crap! I have to buy tickets to see this guy. I need to see yeah. ELO. And there's, there's a date coming up in summer in not too far from here that I may try and go to.
0: I know he's coming to Tampa, but I just – I can't. It's, I think it's like the middle of the week. Yeah. I think it's like a couple of days after my birthday, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. Oh, you should fly out here. I'll drive you around. It'll be great. <laughs> fly out to the coast. It'll be great.
1: Yeah. Wing your way to the coast so I can get you a gig in a major motion picture. Do you want to be Captain Geach or the Shrimp Shack Shooters?
0: As always, we love your letters. Send them to podcast at sft80s.com. The very lovely and still relatively freshly new theme song, too. I want my <laughs> mystery TV theme song. still doesn't really roll off the tongue, but it's, eh, it's, as, it's as good as it's going to get. We're getting there. We will play a snippet of a TV theme song from the 80s if you get it right. Glory. Eternal glory. Fame. <laughs> bottle openers. And a bottle opener. Oh, my God. Speaking of glory and fame, Ready Player One is on HBO now.
1: Oh, yeah. So, I, I, I mean, recorded it so I can watch it with my son when he gets home from college.
0: Ugh. Started watching it a couple nights ago. And I, I know I started texting you like crazy during it. you you got to really love those moments where you're like, oh, shit. Steve's in front of the television <laughs> set with a glass of whiskey.
1: Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, i talking about, you know, the Twitter storm.
0: Yeah, but if, te- you know, though, if you, could just, like, if you could just outlast the first 30 minutes, chances are that I'll be asleep after that, so...
1: It's okay. I just put my phone on. Do not disturb.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, pay attention. Here's the mystery clip from our last show. That's the theme from Hardcastle and McCormick. Somewhere in my um, vast wardrobe of overworn 80s t-shirts, I have a Hardcastle McCormick t-shirt. Oh, yeah? I think it was like sent to me as a demo from one of the websites you know, that has all the 80s. It, has, it might yeah, have been because I know I didn't buy it. <laughs> 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 Seeing as I, I've never seen an episode of this one. Anyway, hey, man, Brian Keith
1: is in this. Come on, uh, winners this week <laughs> include Joseph, Joe, Bob, Purdue, Tim and Toad Suck, Tom Corn in Austria, James Anderson in London, UK, Dave Augie August, DJ and Clinton, Jeremy in St. Pete, Florida, Canuck in Colorado, and Jeff
0: from Down it's on. A, it's a nearly a complete sausage fest.
1: Yes, Canuck in Colorado uh, sp- pulls it pulls it out there.
0: Right, exactly. Uh, spin the wheel. Let's find out who wins the uh, ball opener. <laughs> And looks like it's going to land on ja, Joseph Perdue. You're this week's lucky winner. woo So send us your postal address, and uh, we'll put you on the list for consideration for a future mailing of official swag. Items will be forthcoming. <laughs> like the rain in the desert.
1: Oh. Uh,
0: in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery TV clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this message.
1: Merry Christmas, Merry, Merry Christmas from your Kmart Christmas store. Save on sweaters and on hats, bowling balls and baseball bats. Cameras, TVs, bikes and plants, goldfish, bad boys, slippers, pants. bearers dresses, perfume, socks, toasters, roasters, ropes and cocks. Candy, records, films, and toys. at Santa Land for girls and boys. Christmas smiles every place It's
0: Kmart's Christmas saving place. And we're back. We have a few minutes left. I thought, why not try to stump Brad with the try hard on the die hard trivia quiz? Nice. Now, Brad's going to, whether he knows the answer to the question or not, he is going to pause for a second so you can play along from home. It's true. Five questions. Five questions. I tried not to make them too difficult. So we'll see how this goes. Thoughtful. Thoughtful. Ready? Do I have to ring in? You can do whatever you like, sir. Oh, you're so kind. Question number one. What was the name of the limo driver who picks up John McClane at the airport? Oh crap.
1: Um okay, he used to be a cab driver. He plays the tape. He gives him the phone number. He goes in the parking garage and his name. He sits at the back of the cab, not the cab, back of the limo and drinks while things are blowing up behind him. And it's. Oh, shit. It's right there.
0: Is it Argyle? Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. It's Argyle,
1: correct. Oh, yes. I pulled that one out of nowhere. <laughs> Oh you would only, you'd only remember that if you've seen the first 15 minutes of that movie, which I haven't seen except maybe once in the last 20 years.
0: I know. That's why I pulled that one. I figured, okay, we're going to reward you for watching the first 15 minutes of the movie. Very thoughtful. Question number two. Our hero John McClane is annoyed that his wife isn't using her married name at her new job. What last name does she use? Uh, that would be
1: – oh, wait. I'll pause for the listeners. That would be uh, her maiden name, Steve, duh, which is Gennaro.
0: That's the fact, Jack. Yeah. That's the fact, Jack. Yeah. Correct. Very good. I'm I remember impressed. that
1: one. I don't know why I remember that, but I do.
0: They say it about a thousand I, times. I, I
1: guess it's a plot point, right? It's import- it becomes a plot point.
0: Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to ask. Now, this next question, admittedly, is a little bit more obscure. Okay. What snack food... Is Sergeant Al Powell apparently a big fan of? Well, he buys a whole sack full of them at the
1: AMPM. I'm like, hey, it's an AMPM. This is in LA. Um, but ah, is it Hostess Cupcakes?
0: Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Close. Hostess Twinkies. Uh, oh,
1: right. Because he gives them the ingredient list at the end of it. Oh, man. <laughs>
0: Oh, so you were, you were on the right track there. Infinite that's, shelf that's life snack question. foods. Question number four. On what floor does the big Christmas party take place? The one with the what fountain? Floor. What floor what Floor. me Plaza? 27. Eight. Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Would you like to go for double jeopardy where the scores can really change? Incorrect, sir. That is uh. floor 30 oh crap I don't know I I thought
1: 30 was the floor that like the vault was on oh well uh, my bad very good though I mean it's I knew it's obviously in the top part of the building because otherwise you don't die when you fall from it but anyway (laughs)
0: last question let's shoot ahead to the end of the movie what item of jewelry or fashion does John McClane release in order to send Hans Gruber to his demise the genital cuff
1: you want the genital cuff (laughs) <laughs>
0: no, it's 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 the watch
1: that uh what's her name? <laughs> what's her name? It's the watch that John McClane's wife has been given by the company that they want her to look at and all that stuff earlier in the exactly, movie. Exactly, it is. Right? It is it's, the... it's Checkoff's watch. If you if you see a watch in act 1, someone's going to know what time it is in act 2.
0: Right. Exactly. It's the Rolex watch that Holly Gennaro is wearing. So, yes. <gasps> very good. Very good. You made a pretty good cowboy yourself, Hans. Oh yeah. What was it you said to me before? Yippee-ki-yay, motherf- very, very well done, sir. Very uh, well done. I feel pretty
1: good about that.
0: Well, if you're looking for a chance to see Die Hard in the theaters, I understand it is showing a couple of places. Here in Orlando, it's showing on right before New Year's Eve on December 30th and 31st at select theaters. So check your listings near you. If you just Google Die Hard movie showtimes, you'll, you should find it. Yep. It would be a blast to see this in the theaters, wouldn't it? I think
1: so, yeah. I, I will say I was surprised at how well it held up. I think that uh, you may be surprised, too, unless you're one of those people that watches it every year and you're screaming at the podcast right now, Williams, you idiot! You idiot! <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I'm glad I could inspire that kind of emotion in you, but remember, it's just me talking. It's not that big a deal. Exactly.
0: Well, anyway, on behalf of myself, Brad, and our favorite 80s limo driver, Argyle, we're going to remain right here. Hopelessly stuck on the 30th floor of Nagatobi Plaza and hopelessly stuck in the 80s. This is their idea of Christmas. i got to be here for New Year's. (laughs)
1: Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight. How
0: hate going out On July 12, 1988, the 80s generation received possibly the ultimate early holiday president.
1: Oh, a holiday president
0: <laughs> on July 12th night argh.